Well, for today's message, we're finishing off a, a short series on the topic of prayer. As at the very beginning of Luke chapter 11, the disciples witness Jesus pray. And when he is finished praying, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And we've seen that prayer is, is ultimately and primarily communion with God, fellowship with God, a desire to, to be alone with God. And along with that, it demonstrates a submission to God. And it's a means through which God pours out his blessings and accomplishes his, his will among his people. And then over the last number of weeks, we've considered the Lord's prayer and how we ought to be concerned in our prayers for the reverence and the honor and the glory, the fame of God. And the desire to see his kingdom come, his will to be done here on earth, his righteous will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And then as we've considered what we ought to pray for from our Lord, our Lord has also taught us how we ought to pray. And last week we considered impudence, praying with impudence, this, this shameless boldness that defies all kinds of expectations of, of our place to come before the almighty God and to come and beseech him for his favor. Who are we? And yet Jesus says, come with boldness, come with your needs and ask your heavenly father. And if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, it will be open to you. If you seek, you will find. And now what we're going to look at today is another exhortation from Jesus Christ, which gives us motivation to pray and encouragement to pray. And what we're going to see today is, is the lesson that Jesus is going to teach through this illustration is quite simply that God answers prayer. And because God answers prayer, so ask him. And so look at me in Luke chapter 11. Starting in verse number 11 down to verse 13. The text says, Jesus speaking, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So Jesus here, as so often the case, engages his audience, engages his disciples by asking a question. And the question that he asked last week that we considered was, was which one of you has the gall to wake up your neighbor at midnight because you need bread for a company who's coming to town? No one's going to do that. And his question on this occasion is again, appealing to his audience and says, which one among you, which father is among you when your son comes and asks you for, for his daily food, for the necessities of life, he comes and asks you for a fish or he comes and asks you for an egg, something to eat to sustain him, would instead give him a snake or a serpent or a scorpion. And, and the, the answer, the obvious answer is that no father would do that. And so Jesus' response is, well, how much more then Will your heavenly father who is supremely righteous and good and loving and gracious and merciful, how much more then will he not give you the Holy Spirit, he says, as you ask? The theme here or the point here is that God will answer your prayer. And so Jesus is encouraging us not only with what to pray for in the Lord's prayer, but to pray with boldness to pray with faith, to pray with confidence. 
and to pray knowing that you have a heavenly father who will answer the cries of his children as they ask for their daily bread. Now, the theme of food has been throughout this text. Back in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus called us to, when we pray for ourselves, pray for our daily bread. And this is not just talking about a loaf that we eat during the day. This is talking about our daily needs, our daily provisions, both physical and spiritual, that we might be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him, our our battle provisions. And then as he illustrates by talking about impudence, he speaks about a man who's desperately in need of bread because a neighbor or a friend is coming. And so he goes to his neighbor at midnight because he so desperately needs bread. And then here in this illustration with a son asking his father, he's asking for fish and he's asking for an egg. He's asking for food. And so when Jesus here is talking about prayer, he's not talking about the, the frivolous extras in life. But he's talking about us coming to God and asking for what is necessary for our existence. Our daily food, our sustenance, what we truly need. And as we come to God for what is essential, he will give us what we need. I believe that too many Christians today are physically full, physically well, healthy in an an earthly metric, but yet spiritually so malnourished. And I believe in large measure, it's because we neglect to pray and we neglect to pray for the things that we ought to be praying for. In many respects, we have physically what we need to get by in the world. At the same time, It can be true that we're under-equipped and under-nourished to do the will of God because we don't depend upon him in prayer for our daily needs. And this is why Jesus calls us to pray daily and to ask in the morning for our daily bread. And this is why Jesus equates his word with food, with our daily bread. That we can't live on bread alone, but we must live on the word that comes from from God. This is why Jesus called himself the bread from heaven who comes to give us life and to nourish us. Because what he's trying to teach us is that prayer and the word are essential, vital, necessary for our existence. And apart from them, we're going to be weak and undernourished and and so, so tired. You know, just try to work for a week without eating. You know, you can drink and have your water, but just just try to be engaged in physical labor. Even try to use your mind. And when you're going days without food, you, you can't do it. And the same is true spiritually. And Jesus is teaching us here how, how prayer and how the word are necessary for our daily existence. And when we come before God and ask him, Oh God, to sustain us in righteousness and for us to be a servant of you. And, and God, teach us and instruct us through your word that he will answer those requests. And so he asks here a question about a son asking his father for a fish. He says, which father would give him a serpent or a snake? Now, some commentators believe that this, this serpent or snake is actually referring to bait that they would use to catch fish, almost like a worm that we would use today. And so, so which fa- what father would be so cruel when a son asked for a fish would to throw him a piece of bait? Or here, eat this, or go, go fish yourself. Or, or which father would, would give him a serpent or a snake and, and might even be dangerous 
and give that to their son when they're wanting food. And likewise, same is true for an egg. Which father would give him a scorpion? Something that would be dangerous to have. And, and scorpions can, can, can roll up in a ball and, and maybe you could, you know, throw it, be, mistake it for an egg to catch it. But what kind of father would, would give to their son a, a scorpion and play that kind of cruel trick upon them? And also in the Gospel of Matthew, in a parallel passage, because Jesus, no doubt, would be teaching about prayer many times over. And he mentions on another occasion, which father would, when his son asked him for bread, would then give him a stone. And again, no earthly father would be that cruel or give something to his son that is useless or, or even harmful. And so the argument is from the lesser to the greatest, well, how much more then would God give good gifts to his children who ask him for their daily needs? God will answer and he will give good gifts to his children. And specifically in the gospel of Luke here, it says in verse 13, that the heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, before I talk about the Holy Spirit, because this is going to be something we need to unpack, lest we get confused on what that means. We must understand that there is some limitations to what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not saying that when you come to the Father with impudence, with enough gusto, with enough boldness, with enough confidence, with enough faith, you ask anything you want and he's a good Father and he'll just lavish you with anything you ask for. The emphasis here has been upon our daily needs. And as we consider these things, there's prosperity preachers today would, would take a text like this and say, well, your heavenly father, he's good and he's gracious and he doesn't want you sick and he doesn't want you suffering and he doesn't want you poor. And so you ask him for those things and he will richly bless you. And if he doesn't, well, it's because you haven't asked him with enough faith, with enough boldness, with enough confidence. But it's simply not the case. If you consider Job, Job was known as upright and blameless. In fact, there was none on earth as upright and blameless as Job. And look what God did to him. You can't say that God doesn't want us to suffer because we see in scripture that suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ and what God accomplished through his suffering, the salvation of the world. And so by no means can we say that God doesn't want suffering to come into your life. But we know that when suffering does come, that God desires to do a good purpose in and through that suffering. And through that suffering, we must pray for endurance and faithfulness and righteousness and character and hope. Same is true for sickness or disease or poverty. Just consider prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah towering men of God and yet live their lives mistreated, dying under the hands of those people that they sought to minister to in faithfulness to God. And so this is by no means a text that would teach that God wants you healthy and prosperous and wealthy everything going right for you. And so you just must ask and, and he will definitely do it. If that is the desire of our heart for, for comfort and for ease and for wealth, 
apart from a desire to be righteous before God. And God, if, if it takes my suffering, if it takes for you to break me, then do that because I want to be like Christ. But if your desire is just for ease and for comfort and for wealth and prosperity, then what your desire is for is for that broad road that the world is on, that is easy, it's wide, and there are many people on it, and its end is destruction. And Jesus says the way is narrow and it is hard that leads to life. And true disciples of Christ are going to want to go the hard way, the narrow way, the straight way that leads through the gate and then up to that celestial city. And they'll say, God, you must provide for me on that way. Oh, I know suffering will come. Oh, I know poverty may afflict me. Oh God, but you must strengthen me and give me my daily needs as I seek to follow you. So this by no means is a blank check for us to ask anything in God's name and he will definitely give it. Just consider Jesus' illustration. If a son asked for a fish, if he asked for bread, which father would give him a, a serpent or a snake or a scorpion? None. But now you see a son who comes to a father, a good father, and he asks that father, well, I don't want fish and eggs. <laughs> That's too healthy. I just want a diet of straight candy. And if a son comes to a father and says, I just give me candy. I just want to desire 100% candy. That's my diet. A good father would not give that. Because you know that's not the best for your son, for your child. In the same way, our heavenly father knows what's best for us. And he will give it to us. And Jesus has already told us what we ought to be praying for in the Lord's prayer. For the honor and glory of God. For his kingdom to come. For our daily bread. That we might have our sins forgiven, and that he might keep us from sin. Those are the prayers that Jesus has come to the Father with boldness, and he will answer. Now, what it says at the end of verse 13 is that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And I want to consider this, because in addition to the Lord's prayer and how God will work in and through the prayers of his people to give them daily bread, to forgive their sin, and to keep them from temptation. Jesus here says that if you ask him, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean that in addition to the Lord's Prayer that we ought to be asking for the Holy Spirit? Is this a one-time ask that you ask before you're a Christian and then, then you don't ask again? Or is this a Something that we all as Christians should be constantly asking for. God, give us the Holy Spirit. Does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Controlled by the Holy Spirit? Does it mean to, to be moved to a place of euphoria because the Holy Spirit has somehow put us into a state of drunkenness? What, what is it that we're supposed to be asking for? And just like the prosperity preachers, there, there are many teachers today that when you consider the Holy Spirit... It's an area that's, that's this ripe for all kinds of misunderstandings. Right now, even before I consider this text and seek to explain what this means, I know that almost all of you are going to have an opinion of what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. And that if you ask and the Father gives the Holy Spirit, you have in your mind a picture of what that ought to look like and what that has looked like, maybe in your life or maybe in somebody else's life. Modern movements today have emphasized the Holy Spirit, thinking that he has been neglected. And the Holy Spirit is emphasized in terms of miracles and healings and signs and wonders, visions and prophecies. 
experiences of, of a lack of self-control, being slain in the spirit, laughing in the spirit, being drunk in the spirit. These movements, by and large, are not marked by holiness, which immediately should tip you off because the, the spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit for a reason. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we are becoming more and more holy. And so holiness will be a, a defining aspect of those upon whom the Spirit descends. Also, not only ought the Holy Spirit to mark holiness in the lives of those whom he visits, but it also should be marked by the careful exposition and understanding of his word. The Holy Spirit is the one, he is the one who has given us the word. And so if the Holy Spirit is to descend upon a people, then he will direct people to his own word, which would then shine a light upon Christ and upon the glory of the Father. And so those are just two observations just about the, the nature of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. That he is holy and that he is the one through whom the breath of God, through whom we have the word of God. And so if there is going to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it ought to be with holiness and with the word. Now those are the two things that are often lacking today where the Holy Spirit is emphasized. Now what I want to do is not just kind of speak about that because you can take my word or take somebody else's word for it. But what I want to do is in this exercise is consider how the Holy Spirit is used in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. These are the two books that the, the gospel writer of Luke, again, through the Holy Spirit, has recorded these words. And so how has he recorded about the Holy Spirit? What, what has he written that we can then consider? Now, there are many references to the Holy Spirit in these two books. So I'm just going to give you these in, in bullet-like fashion. And so you might jot down some of these references, or if you want these after, you can ask me, or use a concordance or... Um, any kind of Bible software will let you search all the uses of the Holy Spirit or Spirit in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But for now, you can, you can listen. What I want to do is, is go through how references to the Holy Spirit are given so that we understand what it means when Luke says that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. What is he meaning about that? by that? So here we go. The first reference in the Gospel of Luke is in the first chapter in the 35th verse where the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she gives birth later to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Spirit descends upon her, she is the, the favored one. She is one through whom God is going to enter into the world through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. She has been chosen for a, a service, for ministry. We see the same thing in the first chapter in the 41st verse where Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And why? Because she also was chosen to be a servant in the plans of God to bring forth John the Baptist. We have Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, who was said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, he spoke the word of God and, and spoke about Jesus. We also have the Holy Spirit who was upon, in the second chapter, in the 25th verse, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon who is noted to be a righteous and a devout man whom was waiting for the appearance of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
And so Simeon was promised by God that he'd be part of God's plan to witness Christ coming into this world and to hold him. And he said to be full of the Holy Spirit, a righteous and holy man. In Luke chapter 3, verse number 16, Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And it says there that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In the 12th chapter, in the the 12th verse, sorry, in in the fourth chapter, in the first verse, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And it says, thereby he preached with boldness and with authority. That was a demonstration of the Spirit in his life. The boldness and the authority of his preaching. In the 12th chapter, in the 12th verse, the Holy Spirit is said to come and to teach in that hour of trial what to say as the disciples are brought before judges and governors and emperors. The Holy Spirit will give them utterance, give them confidence, give them boldness. These are some of the examples of the Holy Spirit there in the book of Acts, sorry, the book of Luke. In the book of Acts, there's more examples of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, we see the power of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples that they would be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will equip them for service to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the second chapter, the fourth verse of Acts, the disciples spoke in tongues as a sign of the Holy Spirit's gift and God's presence. In the fourth chapter, it says there on the first verse and the 31st verse, they were filled again with the Holy Spirit and they were filled with boldness in preaching the word of God. In Acts 5, 32, it says that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. In Acts 6 and Acts 7, twice there, Stephen is described as one who was full of the Holy Spirit as he bears witness of the Lord Jesus Christ as his attackers want him dead. In Acts 9, Paul is saved. And in verse 17, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he is commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts 9, 31, the Holy Spirit is said to provide comfort to a church that is suffering affliction at the hands of those who would persecute them for their faith. In Acts 10 and Acts 11, we have the story of Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit is instrumental in granting faith and repentance. In Acts 13, verse 52, the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit as the word of the gospel is prospering and many people are believing and it's spreading throughout the whole empire. A sign of the Spirit's work. In Acts 19, verse number 6, again, there is reception of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues and in prophesying. And in Acts 20, verse 28, the Holy Spirit appoints elders And sets them apart to shepherd the flock of God. These are examples of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. In the book of John, you have the 14th to 16th chapters where Jesus teaches the most and an extended portion of scripture about the Holy Spirit. How he is a comforter. How he is a guide. How he will lead them into all truth. And how the disciples, through the presence of the Holy Spirit will accomplish even greater works than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, when people consider this, they think, well, that means more miracles. That means more people being raised from the dead. That means more people being healed of their diseases. This must what it means that they're doing greater works than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But again, what that means is explained in scripture itself. And scripture never says that's what it means. In fact, when you go to the book of Acts, you have that first chapter. The disciples are there after Jesus' death and his ascension or his resurrection. And they're there with 120 believers in that room. Beseeching God in prayer. Waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the day the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches on the steps of the temple and 3,000 people are saved. From 120 now to 3,120 in one day, in one sermon. That is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit and the greater works, even than the Lord Jesus Christ, in terms of the number of people who are saved and brought into the kingdom to the words of the apostles and the boldness and the conviction and the faith brought by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, as I've given a number of examples about the Holy Spirit in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, I want to try to summarize those. Because if you take all those examples of the Holy Spirit in those two books and try to put them in different categories and say, okay, these ones are similar, so let's put them in this category. You can, you can put them into four general categories. And here are the categories. The first one is salvation. That the Holy Spirit descends and plays a work and a role in salvation. We see that in the book of Luke and Acts. The second one is sanctification. That the Holy Spirit works in the lives of disciples of Christ to make them more holy and pure, to give them boldness and steadfastness, to to grant them an obedience to proclaim the word. And so there's sanctification, holiness. And so salvation, sanctification, The third is service. Probably the the most common reference to the Holy Spirit in Luke and Acts is God pouring out his spirit upon individuals to equip them to serve him in his kingdom. And then the fourth is signs of the kingdom. So we have salvation, sanctification, service, and then signs of the kingdom or signs of God's presence. And if you take all those references to the Holy Spirit in those two books, and even beyond that in the New Testament, you can, you can likely fit them all into those four categories of salvation, sanctification, service, and then signs of the kingdom. And I want to consider those because as we consider Jesus' text here today, he says, if you ask, you will receive. And if, and if you, children, come to your heavenly father and ask, then he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, I believe... He's talking about all those categories. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about service. And he's talking about signs of the kingdom. And I want to consider those four categories in turn here this morning. So firstly, salvation. And for that, I want to just recount for you what happens in Acts 10 and in Acts 11. Acts 11, Peter is giving a recounting of the conversion of Cornelius and his household to other Jews. Jews who are skeptical on whether the gospel is really for the Gentiles and whether they can be grafted in and be part of the people of God, united together under the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Peter recounts what happened to Cornelius, it says there in Acts chapter 10, verse number 30, that Cornelius, on his own, a Gentile, was in prayer. And as Cornelius was in prayer, God answered his prayer. And an angel came to Cornelius and told him to fetch Peter. 
And Peter is going to come and preach to you the gospel by which you will be saved. Isn't that incredible? So here's, here's Cornelius in prayer to the heavenly father. And he says, well, go get Peter. And Peter's going to come. And he's going to preach to you. And you're going to get saved. And what happens? Well, in Acts 11, as Peter recounts the message of the angel, it says this in Acts 11, starting in verse 14. It says, Peter will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. And then Peter said, as I began to speak, listen to this, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when the Jews heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Cornelius sought the Lord in prayer. He sought to be right in the eyes of God and God heard his cry. He sent Peter as a messenger of the gospel. And as Peter was preaching the gospel, the spirit of God fell upon them and they believed and they were saved and they were baptized. They received the same gift that Peter and the others had received. And the Jews conclude along with Peter. Well, then God has given to them the gift of repentance that leads to life. And so this is a work of the Spirit. And notice when Peter says, this is exactly what was spoken of Christ when it says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about all these kinds of signs and wonders and dreams and visions. He's talking about salvation. Here comes this word of the gospel and Jesus Christ will baptize with the Holy Spirit of God. He will grant faith. He will grant repentance. And these people will be saved. And we saw 3,000 baptized on the day of Pentecost because they had shown the sign that they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. They had believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And they received the Spirit and had been forgiven of their sin. And so Jesus says here, will not the Heavenly Father grant the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And in some respects, this is speaking about salvation. That is, and I know not everyone here is a Christian. Not everyone here is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are a person who is, who is outside of Christ, not a disciple of Christ, and you see the need for Christ, you, you, you recognize the guilt that you have before God. You know that he is the, the holy and the just judge and you will be rightly condemned on the day of judgment. As you're aware of that and you, you recognize that Jesus Christ has been sent from God to die in the place of sinners so that we might be reconciled to God. That if you ask him for salvation, if you ask him to forgive your sins, then you have a promise right here that the heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That he will grant that gift of salvation. That he will be merciful. That he will not be a cruel father who withholds salvation from you. You know, there are some thinking, I can't be saved. I'm, I'm too sinful. 
Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus Christ stands ready to save. He says, come to your heavenly father with boldness and you ask him to save you. And he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There's some who think I can't be saved because I'm just not one of the elect. Well, first of all, there's no way you could ever know that. And second of all, that is not at all what scripture teaches. Jesus says, come to me and be saved. Come and drink the water of life. Are you thirsty? Then come. Are you hungry? Then come. Are you a sinner? Then come and ask God to save you and he will give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. He will use his Holy Spirit in you to unite you together with God. As you stand before God, it's important to recognize that God is not cruel to withhold salvation from you or hold his spirit from you. Your sins say that you're guilty. Your past life, your experience, your thoughts, your words, your actions, all of that condemn you, say that you're guilty. But just know that it is the blood of Christ. It is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his agony in Gethsemane as he prayed, let not, or if it's any other way, God, let this cut pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We see in the Lord Jesus Christ, his love, his grace, his mercy. We see the same thing in the father and sending his own son to this earth. We see his mercy and his love towards wretched sinners such as us. So never once think, oh no, God can never love me. Oh, God can never grant me salvation. No, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and see the cost of that salvation. And see his words here that those who come with boldness, he will by no means withhold the Holy Spirit. And so ask him, knock and it'll be open to you. Seek and you will find. This is an invitation to be saved, to be baptized by the spirit of God and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that Jesus means here when he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit, those who ask him. When you ask him to be saved, he will give the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is also used in our sanctification. So in our salvation and also our sanctification. We read in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, that is what the Spirit produces in our lives, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the demonstration of the Spirit's work in the life of the believer is character that looks like Christ. That's how you know the Spirit is working. That's the sign of the Spirit. That's the manifest presence of the Spirit, the character of God in your life, the purity and the righteousness that we see in Christ. And isn't this our daily need? Don't you need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Don't you need that? If you, if you are a Christian, then you have a longing for that. And, and if you are a Christian, there is a, an uneasiness in your heart that you are not yet what you ought to be. And there's a longing to be pure. There's a longing to be holy. There's a longing to be freed from sin. And so Jesus says, if you ask me, 
If you ask the Heavenly Father, will he not grant the Holy Spirit to make you pure, to work in you righteousness and sanctification? You know, this is a call for all of us in our stations of life. I just want to address the men for a second. Men, think about your role at home, at work, in the world. And what's your greatest need? What does your family need from you most? What is what does your wife need from you? Your children, what do they need from you? What does your boss or your employee or or your school classmates? You know, what do the people around you need from you, men, most? You know, the world telling you, well, you need to be more sensitive, be more caring, more thoughtful. You know, you, you might think, I need more money, I need more power. I need, I need more health. I, I need more control. Things are out of control in my life. And you can point to a number of things and you can ask your wife and, well, you need to talk more, honey. You need to, to do more things around the house. And a number of those things can be good things. But men, you must realize that the greatest need that you have, that would be the greatest blessing for people in your life is for you to be holy. That's your greatest need. Men, if you are holy, you will be the greatest blessing you can be to your wife and to your children. And that'll be a death knell to the enemy who wants to destroy all the goodness of God's creation. We need holy men. We need men who know the word and who stand upon the word and men who practice the word, who live according to the word. That's what we need. And the same is true for the women here and for the children here, regardless of your role or station in life. The greatest blessing you can be to people around you is to be holy. You want to leave a legacy for your children? Then be holy. You want to have a home that your children are going to come back to and bring their their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren? You want to see generational faithfulness? You 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 want the home to be a refuge? You want your work, you want your community to be a light? Then be holy. This this is our need to be sanctified, to keep in step with the spirit, to walk according to the spirit, to be people of love and and joy and peace and patience. This is God's will for you to be holy. This is the, the image of Christ that we are being conformed into. This is the Christian life to be holy. And so are we asking? Are we asking? Are we pleading with God? Are we coming with boldness and with impudence and say, God, make me holy. Above everything else, Lord, if it takes suffering, if it takes me losing my health, if it takes affliction, if it takes trial, oh God, make me holy. As holy as a sinner can be, Lord, do that here to me. Is that our prayer? And Jesus says here, as you pray in this way, will God withhold the Holy Spirit from you? Of course not. These are the kind of prayers that God will answer. He will graciously give you the Holy Spirit to make you holy. So salvation, sanctification. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is given with service. We see the Spirit upon Mary, upon Elizabeth, upon Zechariah, upon John, upon Paul, upon all all the writers of Scripture. The Holy Spirit moves in the lives of people to equip them and to send them, commission them for service. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says there, as Paul speaks to the elders in Ephesus, 
He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The Holy Spirit not only saves, convicts of sin, of righteousness and judgment and, and grants faith and repentance so that we are reconciled to God, but the Holy Spirit sanctifies and the Holy Spirit also sends or commissions us or equips us for service. And here is an area where, where many of us even neglect to consider. How is God going to use me to serve his kingdom? How is God going to use me to serve in my home, to serve in this world, to serve at work, to serve in the church? How is God going to send his Holy Spirit to motivate me, to guide me, to lead me, to grant me wisdom? So I'd be a mighty servant for Christ. I think there's so much directionless today. You know, we have, we have this long gap between the teenage years and then up into the 30s and 40s where we have adults kind of just wandering around. Wanting to, wanting to enjoy their life before they, they settle down. And, and this wandering and this, this directionless, this aimless life has also impacted the church as well. And so we're very aimless. We have no guidance. And the question is, well then, are we coming before the Lord and speaking to our Heavenly Father and say, God, you must guide me. You must direct me. You must commission me. Here I am. You send me. God, help me to serve at home. Help me to serve in the church. Help me to serve in this world. And it says, if any of you lack wisdom, it says in James, and ask God, he will, he will grant wisdom. And here, he will grant guidance. He will grant you strength. He will grant you endurance. Men, women looking for a spouse, ask God. God, direct me, guide me. As you serve him and live a life of service, which we're all called to, if you're weary in your service, then ask God for endurance. If you're fearful in your service, then ask God for courage. If you're confused, then ask God for wisdom. If you're lacking joy, then ask God for joy. If you need comfort, then ask him for comfort. And will God withhold these things from you? No, he's not cruel. He will give you his Holy Spirit to comfort you and to guide you and to lead you and to give you joy and love and endurance as you serve him. And so let's ask God for this strength and see how he answers through his spirit. And fourth and finally, we have salvation, sanctification, service, and fourthly, the signs of the kingdom. Now these are the ones that typically we think of, we think about the sign of the Holy Spirit. Think about tongues and prophecy and healing. And these are signs of the kingdom. We see them in Jesus' ministry. And when, when John the Baptist was in prison and he asked his disciples, go ask Jesus, are you the one to come or should we look for another? And Jesus says, will the lame walk, the deaf hear, the mute speak? In other words, I am the one. I am the king. And in Jesus' life, he embodies the kingdom of God, this kingdom of righteousness, where there's no disease or dying or sickness or sin anymore. And when the disciples are proclaiming the kingdom of God as it's expanding out, 
we see other signs of the kingdom. We see more healing. We see speaking in tongues, a language in which they did not know. Others could understand it. It wasn't just, just babbling. These were true languages. They're listed in the book of Acts in the second chapter. And the disciples were speaking in this, in this way and healing and doing these signs and wonders to demonstrate the power and the presence of the kingdom of God. The greatest indicator that the kingdom had come was not healing, was not tongues, was not miracles. Well, it is a miracle. But the greatest demonstration that the kingdom of God was there was that the word was proclaimed with boldness and people believed and were brought into the kingdom. Over and over in the book of Acts, that is the dominant theme. When the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples, it says they are filled with courage and with boldness to preach the word. And that's because the kingdom can't be fabricated. We can't imitate it. We can't force it. We can't create it. The kingdom comes when God descends to this earth through Son Christ or through the Holy Spirit. And so we can pray for it. In Acts number 4, the disciples prayed for it. And I want to read to you a prayer from Acts 4. This is starting in verse 24. Listen to what they said. As they're praying, again, for the witness of the word, and then God grants the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. They say this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, here's the request. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is after Pentecost. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The demonstration of the spirit in their life. They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And why do they need boldness? <laughs> because 50 days ago, they just crucified their Lord. And now they're preaching in his name. Now they've been beaten for preaching in his name. So God, give us your Holy Spirit. The world is raging against you. God, we desire to see your kingdom come. So help your servants proclaim your word with boldness. And God gave them the Holy Spirit. So this is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying you just, you just come before the Father and just say, hey, give me the Holy Spirit. As if we don't really know what we're asking for. He's saying, as we come to God and we pray for salvation, as we pray for our sanctification, as we pray for our service, our guidance, and our comfort, as we pray for his kingdom to come, well, then the heavenly Father will give as a gift the Holy Spirit to accomplish those things in and through us and around us. 
This is what Jesus is teaching here. Now, as we consider this text, back at verse 13 in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus says, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I want to leave you with this, this thought. I know we've covered a lot of ground about the Holy Spirit, about salvation and sanctification and service and signs of the kingdom. But there's one thing you remember from all of this. I want you to remember this part. The greatest gift that God can give and the sweetness of what he promises here that really encapsulates salvation and sanctification and service and signs of the kingdom the greatest gift that God could give to his people is himself. Is that he would visit his people. As that he would commune with his people, have fellowship with his people. That he would bring his people and bring them up to himself. That they might have joy and love and harmony together. And this is what it means here when, when Jesus says he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. As we commune with God in prayer, God will then visit his people through his Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, when Jesus says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's about to go up to the right hand of the Father. What does he mean by that? How can you be with us always? You're going away. But Jesus had promised them that he will send the Holy Spirit in fact, in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Lord is called the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the present manifestation, the reality of Christ's presence in the life of the believers. So when you ask Heavenly Father, He's going to give a good gift to you. He's going to give Himself. He's going to give His Son. He's going to give His Spirit. And you will commune with God. And think about it. All those other categories... Salvation is God visiting his people and reconciling people together to him. You're saved. Salvation is not primarily the forgiveness of your sins so you can go off and just live for yourself. It's removing that sin that separates you from God so you can have fellowship with him. It's restoring what was lost. And so the Holy Spirit is central in salvation to take us and unite us together with God and eradicate that sin that separates us from him. Also our sanctification. Our sanctification, Peter describes it as a partaking in God's own nature. It's being more Christ-like. It's, it's being filled with the fullness of God, Paul says in Ephesians 3. And so our sanctification is, is our communion and fellowship with God in holiness and with purity. It's our participation with him, a fellowship with him. So too with our service. We're fellow laborers. We're co-workers. His mission is our mission. And we're working together with God in harmony and with joy and fellowship. And of course, the kingdom of God is when God descends and visits his people. And when his people dwell in perfect harmony and bliss with their heavenly maker. And so all these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, salvation and sanctification and service and signs of the kingdom are all signs of God's presence. And so Jesus is saying here, when you come before the Father and ask that he be glorified and honored, 
His name would be revered. His kingdom would come as you confess your sin and and want your daily bread, your daily needs and provisions. As you ask God to keep you from temptation, well, he will ask, he will answer bountifully and he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will visit you himself. You'll be together with God. You'll have fellowship and harmony with him. That's the greatest gift you could ever want as a believer to know God. This is eternal life to know him and to enjoy him forever. And so is this not an encouragement for us to pray? That God could descend and visit his people? That God can bring with his presence salvation and sanctification and service and his kingdom? And we can see his hand move among us? Now that is a motivation and that is an encouragement to pray from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is now for us, Will we answer the call of our Savior who said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find, knock and it'll be open to you. Ask your heavenly father and he'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are we willing each day, each morning to come before God, set a time, set a place and ask God, plead with him with boldness and say, God, we desire you to commune with you, to have you visit us. Oh God, to save me, to sanctify me, to equip me for service today, Lord, to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, may God move in our hearts and may we see the Holy Spirit of God at work among us, in our homes, in this church, in this city, so that God might be honored and glorified. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this instruction from our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, what a, what a gift you promise. Oh God, this is far beyond any treasure, far beyond the world's riches and wealth and prosperity and security and comfort and ease. Oh God, that you would descend and visit your people, that you would give your Holy Spirit your own presence to save and to sanctify, to, to equip, to serve you. Oh God, to see the power of your kingdom at work. God, we pray for this. You've promised us here, God, as we come with boldness to your throne room, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and ask, oh God, that you would show your favor towards us and give us your Holy Spirit. And so, God, we're asking. I pray that you might move us to greater heights of faithfulness and devotion to you. That you may be so pleased to visit us and work among us. Oh God, that you might be honored and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.